Today's episode of Leave Your Mark is brought to you by You Beauty. You Beauty is a luxury technology-driven skincare brand that is female-founded by one of my favorite people, Tina Craig. No matter how rushed or tired I am in the morning or before bed, You Beauty's streamlined routine is a no-brainer. My holy grail product is the resurfacing compound, which by the way, I've been using since the day it launched. This compound replaces up to eight products in your typical routine. It gained instant cult status because it's every beauty insider's secret weapon for skin that looks airbrushed in real life. All you do is apply two to three pumps and you'll feel this instant tightening effect. It's probably my favorite moment of the whole experience. There is a reason it's been called Botox in a bottle. It's packed with peptides, antioxidants, and stable retinol and vitamin C. This serum has all you need to keep your skin looking brighter, tighter, and smoother. But what makes You Beauty unique is also their one-of-a-kind delivery system. Their double patent-pending siren capsule technology is the only innovation in the beauty industry that releases the active ingredients in the presence of damaged skin. The result? Your skin gets nothing but benefit with faster working results, minus the risk of irritation and overtreatment. If you're interested in trying You Beauty, they have this amazing try before you buy option where they send you a premium sample free of charge to try out for 15 days. After that, you'll be sent the full size at full price or you can opt out. Plus, if you use code ELIZALICHT, that's A-L-I-Z-A-L-I-C-H-T, you'll get 20% off the full size product. Visit YouBeauty.com to check it out and use ELIZALICHT at checkout. You Beauty is spelled U. B-E-A-U-T-Y.com. I promise you, you will love this product as much as I do. My skin has literally never been better. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I honestly don't think my guest today needs an introduction, but Taylor Lorenz, welcome to Leave Your Mark. I am so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) For everyone listening, if for some reason you don't know Taylor Lorenz, Taylor is a technology columnist for the Washington Post's business section covering online culture. Previously, she was a technology reporter at the New York Times business section, The Atlantic, The Daily Beast. Her writing has appeared everywhere from New York Magazine, Rolling Stone, Outside, BuzzFeed, and more. But Taylor is not, to me, as a former publicist, a regular journalist because she is often on television talking about these breaking stories, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, it goes on and on. Taylor, you were a 2019 Knight visiting Neiman Fellow at Harvard University and is a former affiliate at Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. Of course, you were named Fortune's 40 under 40 list of leaders in media and entertainment in 2020. Adweek included you in their young influentials who are shaping media, marketing, and tech listing, stating, quote, Lorenz contextualizes the internet as we live it. 
And in 2022, Town & Country Magazine named you their new creative vanguards list of rising generation of creatives, calling you the Bob Woodward of the TikTok generation. And I'm just surprised that in your bio, you didn't list DKNY intern because I think that's <laughs> an important starting point. That was a big life milestone. So I know I need I got to get that in there. My fashion era. <laughs> I'm so kidding. All right. So let's talk about your start though, because obviously, you know, you ended up really to me being a singular person who not only defines internet culture, but discovers it and explains it to everybody else. But I guess you wanted to go into fashion in the beginning. I, I love clothes and I love shopping and I love people. And so I thought fashion PR would be a great career for me. My first internship in fashion was in the DKNY internship program, which is actually a really great internship program. I learned so much and it was so fun. I, I interned for Carla Morte, who was doing the menswear stuff. Then I ended up interning at YSL, Nanette Lepore and then in the fashion closet at Harper's Bazaar. It was a really fun era, but I graduated and then the recession hit, which kind of took the wind out of my fashion career ambitions. For people that don't remember, I don't know if any Gen Z people listen, but I was just explaining to this 19 year old yesterday, like what it was like. I mean, when the financial crisis hit, like there was just no jobs, especially not entry level jobs. Yeah, this is 2008 you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, I had like one quick fashion job after college, but I felt like I was about to be laid off and it was, I was just like, all right, I got to figure out what to do. So I started taking temp jobs and working retail. And that's when I discovered Tumblr and it was 2009. And I, I actually had been, I had a really brief job doing PR at Ann Taylor. I remember one of the girls was on Twitter. They had started like the Ann Taylor Twitter account. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like. I'm interested in like digital stuff a little bit. Like I was never, I had Facebook in college and I read blogs, but 2009 made me start blogging. And then- And the rest is history. <laughs> got me into everything else. So, you know, I think what's super interesting about you and I think what you get a lot of credit for is really being so immersed that you are seeing the trends before they're a trend. Like you are super early finger on the pulse. There are a lot of people who can report on things that are already happening. Tell us a little bit about how you, I mean, is there ever a moment that you're not like literally deep in the internet? Like how do you stay so current and ahead? Yeah, I consume a lot of content on a daily basis. I just kind of like to absorb lots of things and I like to go down rabbit holes and experience kind of like what's going on in different communities. So I talk to a lot of people too every day, just, you know, just to see what's up and people send me things, I think, because they know that I'm interested in stuff like this. So I just absorb a lot and listen to a lot of stuff. I, I kind of like to write about things that have a larger meaning. So. I don't just write up like every TikTok trend. It has to be like, what does this trend say about the state of technology or media or culture? So when I find something like that, even if it's a small trend in the beginning, I am like, oh, well, there's like a reason behind this that I think is interesting. And so, yeah, that's kind of the lens that I look through. 
And because you're sort of tracking all these like data points really early, I'm just curious, do you have like a spreadsheet where you're like monitoring old school, like what is happening? I wish I was that organized. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not organized at all. (laughs) No, I just kind of, I do have like a 40 million page Google Doc. And every time I see something I think is interesting, I put it in the Google Doc. And sometimes I start to separate things out into like, like potential story ideas. It's just like one really messy Google Doc where every time I see anything where I'm like, oh, I don't want to lose that. I just, I put the link in like maybe a little description. You've had obviously incredible pieces. You've broken stories, but at one point there must've been a moment that you remember where you became the story. Yeah, many times, unfortunately. (laughs) Can you remember the first time that happened and how that made you feel? So in 2017, I ran social media for a lot of media companies and I would do social strategy and write on the side because a lot of people for years didn't consider internet culture like a full-time beat. They thought like, oh, you're the social media editor and you can write about your silly internet things on the side. So I was running social media video strategy at The Hill, which is a political publisher. I did that for two years, 2016, 2017. And we had, I don't know if you remember, but the media companies were all doing these Facebook live deals. So I was covering a lot of stuff protests that year. I was live streaming and then I would write a story and whatever. So there was a lot of like viral, big protests. And I remember I went down to Charlottesville for the Unite the Right rally. I don't know if you remember, it was like people had the pitchforks or the-, or the Yeah, um, the I actually torches. I do now that you mentioned pitchforks. Yeah, that's the Tiki Torch things. Anyway, so I ended up covering those protests that weekend and live streaming to millions and millions of people when James Fields, I don't know if you remember, he drove the car through the crowd killing yes. Heather Heyer. Yes. yes. So I ended up live streaming that, like I was three feet from where that happened and millions of people were watching my stream. And then there was a lot of anti-media sentiment that weekend. I don't know if you remember, but reporters were being assaulted. And so this guy was coming around right after, you know, there's people bleeding out in the streets. I'm live streaming, trying to figure out what happened. And this guy comes around and starts assaulting people. And he was saying, are you media? And for whatever reason, I thought maybe he's like a police, undercover police person. So I said, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm media, which was a huge mistake because he, so he hit me. Oh, I remember this. I remember this all coming back to me now. Yes. Yeah. So I got assaulted. I fell to the ground and it cut my live stream, which people freaked out because they were like, oh my God, is she okay? Anyway, whatever. I ended up in the police station when they brought James Fields in for questioning. So I was the only reporter in that situation. And so obviously it was a big news story and long story short, yeah, I ended up in the news for that. And I actually found it extremely stressful. And I only did one cable news hit where I talked about it very briefly. And then I was kind of like, I don't, I actually don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Cause I mean, I was covering Heather Heyer's death. I ended up covering her funeral as well. And I just felt I just didn't want to talk about it that much. Yeah, it was so disturbing because so, you're so like traumatic. you're so, so well, you're, you're not used to being on the other side of things. That was like the yeah. first time I was really on the other side of things, and it was like, <laughs> so stressful. So it gave yeah. me a lot of empathy for the people that I cover during breaking news. It's crazy though because you are a journalist. I feel like every time you cover something, the story flips around, and people are covering you, covering the story, or whatever you're talking about. I can't think of another journalist that gets so much airtime. I mean, I remember like whatever, two weeks ago, you posted a show that was like a panel discussion all about you. 
I know Fox News. And then they did another one the next day. They did Fox News does so many segments. I mean, this is the thing that happens in the internet. People create these characters. And I think I cover online influence. Online influence is something that a lot of people desperately want, especially in the media. And so I think a lot of times people, one, they conflate me with my beat. And then two, they like, they get really triggered about what I write or they have really strong opinions. And especially the right-wing influencers who I've reported a lot on, like, you know, they, they consider me a character in their universe. And so they make a lot of YouTube videos about me and I cover content creators. So of course they're gonna create content. It's wild to watch. I mean, is it something that at this point you are numb to? Because I can't imagine it was easy in the beginning to just constantly be the center. I mean, you're constantly trending on Twitter. Like literally you're the story. I feel like you're very, at this point, like you're Teflon, like you have such a great way of handling it, but it must've been really hard in the beginning. Yeah. In 2020, when it really kicked off, like 2020, it got just so crazy that year. And when we were all kind of inside and not seeing people like early pandemic days, it was really, really, really hard. And my employer at the time didn't know how to handle it. And and no fault of theirs necessarily, because I actually don't think really anyone knows how to handle it. I ended up joining this kind of support group for other women that have been like just basically dealt with like the worst of the worst of the internet, yeah. like just yeah. everyone else has been doxxed a million times. So that was really helpful. But yeah, 2020, I had a really hard time. And it was also hard because I had, I lost, you know, several people passed away and from COVID and, and suicide. And I was just like the worst year ever. And so like, that was hard, but then I got through it. And also like the worst of the worst hat, like so many bad things happened and it was so comically bad what they were doing that I just kind of like started to laugh about it because I was just like well this is ridiculous and also like my parents were really supportive and my family members and my family members have been targeted a lot and and they were like fuck these people this is crazy and so we all just kind of like we're like all right whatever whatever then do your worst you've already done like literally everything you can do so it was almost kind of freeing to be like okay how many more times are you guys going to dox me and like come up with conspiracy theories about my family like elon musk like a month ago was tweeting how my uncle owns the internet archive which is a complete lie and like just, but like elon musk is tweeting about you that's so wild yeah but is there ever a time where you were reporting a story and you were scared about like what might come after it goes live? Not scared, but I knew that my libs of TikTok story would make people, I I knew what reaction that would get. That's why I went to such extreme Mm -hmm. lengths to try and get comment. I think a lot of people have seen this photo of me where I'm knocking on the woman's door who runs this far right influential Twitter account. And I just, anyway, we were, we were reporting on this woman's identity. She had previously sort of attempted to hide her identity. And so I just knew like, I have to do every single thing perfectly for this story because it's going to be contentious. Yeah. I wasn't, I did, there wasn't a minute where I considered not doing it, you know? Right. Right. Well, I think, yeah, you're super passionate about it. So, okay. You're a journalist, you're a media personality. You're also a content creator. You are brilliant at your own content creation. Give us a little insider scoop into your process as far as how you handle your own content. 
Yeah, I wish I had more of a like, you know, when I was a social media strategist, I would have all these like content plans and like, you know, like, and, and then my own social media is just like such a shit show because it's just me posting kind of in between. I mean, I have really busy days where I don't really post very much. And then I have other days or weeks where I post a lot, like I'll post a TikTok every day. So it just depends on my workload for the past, you know, I've been working on a book for the past two years. So that's taken. We will get to that. Trust me. but yeah, I mean, I have a I have a couple Instagram accounts, and I, I make videos on TikTok, and I tweet all day long. But Twitter's like less of a thing actually now for news. I I'm on a lot of other apps, and I'm a poster at heart. You know, Lisa, I started as a blogger, so like I know, I get it, I get <laughs> I like it. It. It, it. It's is. like an outlet for me, kind of. It is, it is, and you do have so so many accounts. But what is your view now? on the creator economy in general, because I feel like every other week it's like influencers are over or like influencers are not over. Like, I feel like, you know, the media in general can't decide. (laughs) Influencers are not over. They love that storyline. And that storyline has been happening since 2012. I mean, honestly, even before that, when they were declaring the end of blogging, the death of blogging and, and online publishing, which is so funny because I was reading for my book, I was finding something like that from like 2009 or 2010. And I was just like, and actually even the early 2000s too, after the first dot-com bubble, people were like, that's it for the internet. We tried it. We tried to monetize it. doesn't work. So yeah, it's all ridiculous. I mean, media is only becoming more digital and more distributed. And, and so media, you know, I think of content creators, influencers, whatever you want to call them, they're essentially their own media companies. And so if you think about how is media going, it's not going backwards. It's just not. And I know that legacy media loves to say like influencers are over. It's like what, in what capacity, like, I think right. it changes what people want from their content changes the methods of distribution and consumption change, but it's not getting less digital and less sort of diffuse. Have you ever had a moment where you were like, God, I have such a big following and like you could monetize the shit out of it, but like you're a journalist, so it's harder. What is that discussion in your head? How do you, how do you think about that? I know I've gotten a couple offers over the year that sort of really made me question (laughs) whether I'm in the right career. One time it was like 70% of my yearly salary for one brand deal. I, I, I I could imagine I, but it's like, that's like a real but I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe I, I I really love reporting and I don't want to stop doing that. I mean, look, I would love to be independent one day and, you know, do my own thing. That would be such a dream, but I, I feel like I'm really lucky right now to work at a company that I can learn a lot and I'm still in my thirties. So I'm still like, you know, not, hopefully not at the peak of my career. And there's all these amazing journalists that are from the legacy media that I would love to learn from before I totally, you know, jump ship yeah, on that. Um, I, get that. I mean, I like having a big audience too, because I really, I love having a two-way relationship with readers. I don't know how people did it before when you, you maybe you get some letters to the editor, but like so much of my work is a back and forth with the people that follow me. So what's the best way to pitch you? Well, honestly, I take pitches everywhere. Like I, some reporters are like, oh, I hate getting pitches over DM. Like I, I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. I, I get emails like Taylor Lorenz at, dot Lorenz at Wash Post, but the pitches that come to my email are always garbage because those people are just on some list. And yeah. I actually feel like the pitches I get via DM are more like they know who I am. And so like, they're always more interesting. I, I have to say though, I can count the number of times I've written a story off a pitch 
on like both hands. It's just, I think normally the stuff that I get is just like, it's kind of random. <laughs> it's like, I hear that. I hear or that. it's too late. I'm telling them like, I, I've gotten a lot of pitches where people have tweeted at me pitches that are written off my articles. Like this recent story declared X, Y, Z. Like, are you, in, and I'm like, oh my God, that's my story. So that's so funny. All right. Let's talk about your book, Extremely Online. What inspired you to actually do a book? I never aspired to write a book really, I, I guess, because I've considered it, you know, not like an out of date medium, but I just thought I would do like a video series before a book. But then, you know, I read a lot of tech books and I love tech nonfiction. I felt like there was a lot of stories that had told the corporate side of sort of the rise of social media. I mean, Sarah Fryer's excellent Instagram book, Mark Bergen's YouTube book, like catching Twitter. They told this, this story, the individual stories of these companies, but I felt like nobody had sort of taken this zoomed out approach and looked at the rise of social media and sort of told a social history of that. And especially from sort of tying it in with the rise of the content creator and influencer world. So that's what my book does. It's, it's kind of like the past 20 years of internet history. Like how did we get to where we are, where suddenly we all kind of commodify ourselves and post in a certain way. And like this half a trillion dollar influencer industry, like where did that come from and how did that emerge? I think that Silicon Valley people love to take credit for it and, and seem like they invented it in 2021. But as you know, it's been around for a lot longer and it was really pioneered by women. And a lot of my book talks about the stories of these extremely influential women that have been written out of history. Obviously you're in the book as well. Um, <laughs> an icon, but yeah, so it's, I think people will, will find it interesting. So is this the kind of book that, I mean, I could see it becoming required reading for courses in universities. I hope. <laughs> well, no, for real. I mean, books are clearly like another foundational entity, but is there something on your bucket list that you hope this book does? I just want to like set the record straight on history. Ooh, I really I hope love. it. I mean, and I also, I just, I hope it changes people's perception. I feel like I've had to work really hard for people to take this industry seriously. I think they do kind of now, but it's wild how many people still don't understand it or dismiss it or, and so, yeah, I, I hope that people kind of, you know, take that away. Another thing I really want people to take away from the book is that users have a lot of power over these social platforms. And that's something that gets lost, especially when we talk about the way that these companies have risen again it's this corporate narrative of like these great tech leaders you know that championed instagram and twitter and on TikTok, whatever and it's like actually users are responsible for the growth and success of social platforms and actually shape these platforms especially power users essentially influencers have really shaped this tech landscape that we have today and i think people especially as we sort of look at these tech companies and want change users have a lot more power than you think so i think you might learn that from my book as well. I love that sentiment, but let's, let's talk about, you know, I, 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 when I picture the algorithm, I picture just like a light switch and it's like all of a sudden something that you post all the time and you have a sense of like how it's going to perform as a content creator. All of a sudden you're like, oh my God, they turned off the switch. Like, so when you say users have power, like, I'm just curious, I feel a little bit like we're all on puppet strings. And they're just tweaking as they see fit. And then all of a sudden we're left to hold the bag. And, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm part of the American Influencer Council. And we talk about this a lot. It's like, how do you, like when you think about content creation, I mean, this is how I think about it. It's like, 
I think about content as much as I think about format and I think about format based on what the platform is looking for us to do. Yeah. We are puppeteers. Oh no, we're totally at the mercy of these tech companies in really crazy ways. Like I would never argue otherwise. Yeah. Um, But like, how do you see us? Like, I would love us all to get together and really like have a voice on, because it's people's livelihoods, like this industry. and, And it really like, we were working with one of my clients. We were working with a very, very big TikTok creator and we had a scheduled posting day and his team wrote back. He's like, you guys, let's hold because he posted something yesterday. He normally gets like a hundred thousand views in like a couple hours and he got a thousand. And we just, we're worried that something is happening right now with the algorithm. So how can we, how can we I don't know, unionize. I'm kidding. But like, how no, can we- seriously though, I really think that we're at an inflection point where like, I do think the pandemic shoved everyone online in a crazy way. I think the tech people finally waking up to this industry, like is also another milestone. And I think people are starting to understand this is actual labor. And I think like that was, especially throughout the 2010s, so dismissed yes. because it was such a, a, a female dominated industry. And I think it was, yeah, it was been dismissed. So you see a lot more recognitions of that. I wrote about two state bills. One actually passed in Illinois through, through the house. I think it has to go to the state Senate, but it's about underage content creators and, and labor laws around that. And also like basically ensuring that they're paid for their work. And if their parents are taking the money, it's an escrow, whatever. I think that's, it's starting with children, but I think look at what happened with the gig economy. I mean, people thought, oh, Uber drivers, they can never get anything. You know, you see these like collective labor movements rise up. And I do think that, I do think that there's a way to put pressure on these companies. I do. And I, I think like, you're right, we're at the mercy of the algorithm, but these people do have massive audiences. Everyone is far more multi platform today than ever. I think if you are cut off from YouTube, a lot of people understand innately you've had to build your, you know, audience elsewhere. And look at what just happened with Reddit. You know, I think that, yeah. that you know, the, the protests had big success. So I think that there is, there is a lot more room to apply pressure. I don't even think we've started to really apply pressure in the way that we could on these issues. What's your whole view? It's so interesting. Like, I don't think, you know, people who are not in this space understand that we had celebrities. And then we had influencers, right? But now there's there's that gray area of celebrities being influencers too. But the way that SAG now is inserted into those rates, I would love to talk a little bit about that because I think it's interesting, especially I have a lot of brand people, who, brand executives who listen to this podcast, like how interesting it is to think about like, there are so many mouths to feed, right? It's like, Obviously, SAG is like, hey, got, hey guys, wait, like we actually own these people and now you're taking them over to the internet side of things and actually we want a piece of that too. Yeah, I wrote about the SAG after influencer agreement. I think it was like 2021 or maybe whenever they rolled that out. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The thing is, is that I think celebrities are becoming content creators a lot more than people are becoming celebrities, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I think, I think they're going to have to like, really think like if SAG really wants to operate in that market, they need to start, they can't just be serving celebrities. Like they need to serve, like the, they should expand. And I mean, why don't we have a union that the creators can join? I know there's been so many attempts, but they have so much power. You could see them expanding somehow. I don't yeah. know. I mean, the interests, I don't know how like 
I don't know enough about sort of unionization and, and labor yeah, laws no, I don't to know either. how that would work. But like, I do think that our whole entire concept of celebrity has changed so much. Look at someone like, you know, so many people like Olivia Rodrigo or all these other people. It's like their fame is so tied in with the internet that it's hard to know what, where it starts, where it ends, especially with musicians. It's true, but also there's the, there's the flip side of it. There's the traditional actor who, you know, yeah, you're waiting around for, you know, a script that you love, or you're waiting around for your agent to call you that there's a project, but in between your side hustle is content creation for the most part. I mean, that is, that's the side hustle. So for the people who recognized early that that is an option, like my friend, Adam Rose, who is brilliant. I mean, he has more content deals than I can think of. And he's been acting since he's like, five years old. He was a Leave Your Mark podcast guest last year. He's amazing. But like, it's wild to think about how much opportunity there is in the creator space for talent, yeah, especially traditional talent. Yeah. I think I just hope that those pay rates are as good as what they get in acting. You know, like I, my friend who is a working actor in New York, you know, he's been on some commercials. He was saying like a day on set on a commercial pays more than like you know, several months of brand deals for him. He has a couple of hundred thousand followers, but like, you know, I think that like, it's this trade-off, you know, there are these really great rates that actors get paid and minimum wage and all that stuff. And I wish that we could see a better pay structures in terms of brand deals. Well, I mean, in essence, it's the wild west, right? Yeah. There are no, there's no standard whatsoever. And that's where, you know, you really need to have the right representation. I mean, I remember when corporate right. Natalie was starting, I reached out to her on DM. She was also on Leave Remark. I reached out to her on DM and I was like, let's have a call. And we had a call on Zoom and I said to her like, okay, like what, this is like when she had like 80,000 followers, I'm like, what are you charging? And when I heard her number, which I'm not going to share on the podcast, I was like, girl, girl, let's <laughs> quadruple that number. But if you don't have people who are advising you, you could, brands will just take advantage. A hundred percent. So crazy. Okay. When you think about what's next or what excites you, I mean, what are you looking at? What are you feeling for? Do you ever get exhausted by this whole thing? Yeah, all the time. I think we're all exhausted with life sometimes. You gotta chill out. Yeah, I mean, I, I love media and I love internet stuff right now. I'm just so focused on my book and, and sort of, you know, I worked hard on it. So I want people yeah. to read it. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I want to just keep reporting and keep doing stories and keep building my audience. I think I just love to find new readers and people every day that care about the things that I care about. So I'm trying to be better at making videos. I just kind of like do whatever I feel like is interesting in the moment. Total, but that's what makes it authentic and great. And I also think that you, you know, your approach has always been when you have the time, but also within whatever setting you're in. So if you're in your bed or you're wherever, like yeah. <laughs> you, you have your social strategy fit into your lifestyle, which I do as well. And a lot of people you know, don't understand how important that is because otherwise it's like, if you have to go like do hair and makeup and go get a team and do whatever, like that's not social media anymore. No. <laughs> that's not a thing. What is your view on AI and like where we are right this second? Because I feel like we are now at the like beginning of seeing what's going to happen. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really amazing tool for creativity. I think like just the barrier to entry, I think so many people have creative ideas. And I think as a tool, like an assistive technology, it's amazing. I mean, I use AI to help me edit all the time <laughs> my content. I think as a replacement for creative work, it's a little scary and horrifying. I don't love that. I will say it's pretty bad at it right now. I've tried to use it to help me write and it's just so laughably bad that I'm not worried about it taking over the world anytime soon. But I do think all of that is gonna improve. I think it's exciting. It's terrifying in certain ways, but I think it's like one, it's with every technology, it's like, is it going to be leveraged by billionaires in Silicon Valley to just exploit people and (laughs) run predatory businesses, then that could be a horrifying feature, but could we use it to, you know, improve society and use it for good? I think, of course, you know, like it's just a tool. So I don't know the way things are going, it's probably going to end up being used by billionaires for terrible things. Well, I mean, I I hate to be like negative Nelly over here, but like, yes, because they have the means to be the first ones in, right? Yeah. And they also like, have billions of dollars to that's what i mean yeah what's your point of view on the metaverse i guess like call me when it gets here i've seen so many like (laughs) vr hype cycles (laughs) wait i i really am so happy that you said that because that is how i feel like i'm literally like okay guys like when the whole nft thing was happening i was like "Uh uh-huh this is this is going to run its course yeah i i am with you i'm with you and you know i pride myself on being someone who, and as do you, like early adopter, like want to be there, want to understand, don't want to resist, want to like get inside and really play. And I'm just like, not, I'm just not interested right now. Yeah. I got so into VR in 2017. So into it. I literally started like, I mean, that was like the last hype cycle. I don't know if you remember, like at F8 that year, the Facebook developer conference, they gave us all like Oculus or something like, or Samsung, yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, and I and I taught myself Unity and I taught myself 360 video editing and I was making 360 video vlogs. And like, I did all this stuff and I was so, I, I wrote about all social technologies on VR and I, I used to hang out in alt space, which was like this hangout in, in VR. It was, it, anyway. Then I saw that like, just never come to fruition. And so when this hype cycle came around, I was like, oh no, I'm sitting yeah. this out because we're not even close. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, last question on, on tech stuff. What is your favorite platform right now to be on? And what do you think is the most important platform to be on? And what is a platform that you think no one's on that they should be? Oh God. I have so much drama with Instagram, but it's still my favorite platform. (laughs) And I say drama only in the sense that they're constantly dinging me with community guidelines violations, which is so annoying. But I just love it. I love Instagram. I'm a millennial. Like I just, it's my favorite social network. It's where my friends are. I think obviously the one that everyone should be on is TikTok because it's undeniably, you know, ascendant and, you know, ahead of the game in terms of product. Like, what they do trickles down to all the other apps mm-hmm. <laughs> and a product people should be on. Let's see, what, what have I, I mean, maybe discord. I think a lot of people don't use discord. I spend a lot of time in discord and I think it's interesting. And I think if you think about the future of social, it's definitely about communities and sort of mm-hmm. limiting an audience. So yeah, I would say discord, like 
you can spend some more time on there if you don't use it a lot. It's pretty interesting. Here's my last question for you. And it's, I, I'm so curious since you are a brilliant journalist. So leave your mark always ends with how do you want to leave your mark? But in terms of you, I'd love to know, like, ultimately, if there is a headline about you and your career, what do you want it to say? Like, what do you want to be known for? Oh my God, I've never, this is going to give me an existential crisis. Take your time. I mean, I think the power of the internet is connecting people and, but not in like a Mark Zuckerberg kind of like sure. corporate way. But I just, I mean, I, I feel like I just, I hope that people remember me for the stories that I wrote and just kind of like how I really love the internet and technology and I hope that comes through. And so I hope that people, I hope that my story sort of sparked a love of technology or understanding of the world through technology, I guess, you know, after I'm gone, I guess. (laughs) Taylor, you're amazing. I love watching everything you do. You're so brilliant at your role and beyond. And I'm so excited for Extremely Online. Everyone, this book is going to be, I think if you are in tech, marketing, advertising, really anything that has to do with creating awareness, influence, culture, extremely online. It's going to be great. Yes, order it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Leave Your Mark. If you want more career advice or tips on personal branding, make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, On Brand, shape your narrative, share your vision, shift their perception. Want to land your dream job or kill it in your career? Don't forget about my first book, Leave Your Mark. If you want me to speak at your company or at an offsite, or if you need consulting services, please go to alizalick.com. I would love to connect with you there and on social media. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.